0: With all that said, let's read the word of God together in Matthew chapter 9, then we'll pray and we'll get into it. I'm going to pick up in Matthew 9 at verse 14 and a short section, just verses 14 through 17 this morning. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we um, just appreciate, Lord, the genuineness of a spirit-filled life. Father, we appreciate uh, dealing with you as a father to sons and daughters, as a friend, as someone who we can trust and who loves us tremendously. Father, I pray that you continue to do your work among us. I pray for this word this morning, that it would be real to us, that your spirit would bring it to life, and that we would share a wonderful time of communion in your name. And it's in your name that we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, am, I, am I scratching a little bit here? Is that, I think it's rubbing against my unshaven face all right let's try it all right is that better sound better good okay sorry about that all right we've been looking at Matthew the gospel according to Matthew the tax collector who we just saw begin to follow Jesus he had left all turned away from his life as a tax collector and all that that meant and was now following Jesus he was the writer of the gospel of Matthew and uh, really the biography of the king we've been Interestingly, since since we finished with the Sermon on the Mount back in chapter 7, we began to see Jesus dealing with different kinds of people. We've seen Jesus interacting with people like sinners, tax collectors, those that were uh, outsiders from the the practice of Judaism. Uh, Lepers, those considered outside everybody spiritually afflicted the sick the paralyzed and we see we see jesus dealing with them reaching out to them what did the system of religion and judaism have for them have for those people well occasionally they might get a handout because the jews the pharisees and sadducees were wanting to look pious not because they really cared for them as a general rule but because it was part of their religious practice other than that They weren't welcome. They were outsiders. They were considered unclean. And and we, the Pharisees, did not want to be infected by the uncleanness that they had. We didn't want to become dirty from them. So they were sort of uh, outcasts. And so Jesus comes along and he begins to reach out to them. Notice the other thing that continues to be the highlight of what Jesus notices about people. He's not saying to the leper, oh, I've seen your religious practice. Come and be healed. He's not saying, oh, I see the rituals you keep to the centurion. Your servant will be made well. He doesn't mention any of that. What does he mention, folks? What continues to be the ongoing theme and will be for for chapters to come? Faith. Faith. The centurion in chapter 8, verse 10, he says, I haven't seen such great faith. To the disciples, he said, hey, you of little faith. To the paralytic, Jesus saw their faith and the friends that brought him. The woman with the flow of blood in the next, uh, later on in this chapter, your faith has made you well. Jairus' daughter in chapter 9, verse 29, it'll be done according to your faith. So you see there's this difference between the religious practices, routines, and rituals of the Jews. Not being, The Jews are the ones on the outside criticizing. But Jesus continuing to take note... Not of religious practice, not of, of those types of rituals, not of going through motions and observances, but he's looking for faith, and he 's the same yesterday today and forever, and he's still looking for faith. So what happens when this Jesus comes and he 's looking for faith and he's ministering to the outsiders and those from the Jewish religion, they're bringing, criticized they're, they're criticizing him, and they're noticing now these differences between them and Jesus. And, of course, they were the ones that were right in their minds. And Jesus was now coming, and he's not orthodox. You guys know that word orthodox meaning to line up? Ortho means just to make straight. If you've been to an orthopedic surgeon, or many of you have kids that have been to an orthodontist, there are people that make things that have been out of line straight. And Jesus was out of line. He is unorthodox orthodox he's not following their rules and their rituals and their ways of worship and devotion and this is starting to bring tension you see they had already asked him why does your teacher they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners why we're trying to get to the bottom of this and so they're noticing these differences now understand this change is tough isn't it Change is hard, especially, and things that are different are hard for us. Because we get set in our ways, don't we? I mean, this is the way we've done it. Matter of fact, Solomon tells us the truth about this, that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart. You tend to live out what you learned was right when you were growing up. That's socially, that's emotionally, uh, that's spiritually. If you grew up in a certain kind of church, even if you grew up in a cult, that is going to feel to you like it is the right thing. And everybody else must be wrong because this is how I grew up. That can be true of biases, prejudices, all of those things. And that's the way these Pharisees were. They had been very uh, well trained in these religious routines and rituals. And for them to see now Jesus acting differently is going to be very offensive to them. And maybe to some of you, as you've come in here, if you've come to Calvary Chapel, you're not used to this. You know, you're used to suits and ties and certain ways, certain songs, and certain way of of liturgy. And you come here, this is different. Why don't you guys do this? And why don't you? We'll get to that later on. But remember, the setting is Jesus is having a feast with these sinners and tax collectors. They're sitting around the table. They've already asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher do this?" Now they come, verse fourteen. The disciples of John—that's John the Baptist. He had been the forerunner of Christ, and many he had pointed to Christ. But some really latched on to John's ministry, and they stayed with him. He, they liked his—they uh, liked the, the whole camel hair and wilderness thing. And says, so, "I mean, we, we can relate to this guy. We're going to hang out with him." So they were disciples of John, and John was sort of one of these guys that lived. Uh, he was. Um, a Nazarite, and so he only ate certain things and had abstinence was part of his plan. And they liked abstinence, they liked fasting, they liked those things. So the disciples of John came to him and they noticed this difference. Well, now, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? You see, it's likely that on the day that Jesus was dining and feasting with his disciples and these tax collectors and sinners, that was probably a scheduled day of fasting for the Pharisees. You see, the question here is about fasting, but it's about more than that. It's about routine. It's about religious ritual. And God had only appointed one day in the year... For the Jews to fast as a nation. That was the Day of Atonement. Many of you may know it as Yom Kippur. I think, did the schools get off for Yom Kippur these days or no? I don't, I don't know if that's a school holiday or not. But nonetheless, Yom Kippur was the day of fasting. We get off for all kinds of other holidays, don't we? So, uh, but that was the day of fasting. Now, the Pharisees and the disciples of John had said, Well, if one day a year is good, I mean, we, more must be better. So to show our devotion and to set aside time, we're going to schedule that everybody that's one of our followers must fast two days a week. And so everybody fasted two days a week. That was the deal. And maybe more if they felt so-called, but at least two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Those were fast days, no matter what. So they noticed this difference. Why do we, this was, this was probably one of those days and they're eating together. Why do we fast often we have this routine we have this discipline this is what should be done but we've noticed that your disciples are unorthodox they're not acting the way we act they're not lining up with what should be done and can you explain this and it's no doubt a criticism now there's something important to remember out of all this number one if you are going to be a follower of jesus christ you have to be ready to be different you have to be ready to be different maybe than how you grew up. I mean maybe you grew up in a very religious system and that feels right and it seems right. But maybe it wasn't right. Maybe it wasn't right at all. You see as followers of Jesus, we do what he does, not what other religious people do. We look at Jesus and say what is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is fasting so I mean feasting so the disciples are doing what? Hey, look look over. Guys, Jesus is eating. Let's eat. You know, he's the master. But what a temptation to look at, well, Jesus is eating, but all they're saying we should fast. And it can get confusing, can it? Because there's all kinds of things out there that tell us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, how it's supposed to be. Man, just look at Jesus. And you're safe. So you have to be ready to be different, not just from maybe the sinful things you were used to before you were a Christian, but even maybe from some of the religious things you were used to, some of the things... You trusted in your flesh. You trusted in your ability to walk around the circle nine times and say th- this prayer or say that prayer. And you had all these religious routines that you trusted in. You know, two people were on a plane together. They're sitting next to each other. And the pilot, you know, began to say, say hey, put on your seatbelt because we're going to hit some turbulence. And man, they hit some turbulence. And uh, the plane started to shake and rattle. And the one person uh, was sitting there wearing a, a crucifix around their neck and the other person was was a christian and not and uh, the one person began to pray and the other person that was wearing the crucifix looked over and said man can you show me how this thing works you know i don't know how to work this crucifix thing i need help and so we begin to trust in in things and rituals the other thing i think to be mindful of is to be ready for questions because they were being questioned because they were different when you're different people want to know why don't they hey, wait a second, we worship on Saturday, Saturday's the Sabbath, why is it you guys worship on Sunday? Huh, I never thought about that, questions are great, questions are really healthy, because what they do is they make you dig in, and find out, I had a conversation, intense conversation with a guy, who was a pastor of a church, and they held to the doctrine that you are saved by Jesus and being baptized that baptism is an essential part of your salvation and so we had this long uh discussion and and as a matter of fact part of part of their practice because they believe baptism is essential to, to salvation is that as soon as you're saved i mean if you get saved at three o'clock in the morning the pastor will be at your house by three fifteen, and you'll be in the bathtub getting a, a washing because if you don't and you get up in the morning and you have your morning coffee and you go outside to get the paper and you get hit by a bus, well, you weren't saved because you never got baptized. And so he began to challenge me and we started looking at scripture together and finally he said to me, can you show me one person who was saved without being baptized? So I said, well, let me think about that. Let me go home and think on that. And so I went home, looked through the scriptures, searched and, and dug in and I said, I can give you two. One's from the New Testament, one from the Old. From the New Testament, how about Zacchaeus? Today's salvation has come to your house. Hadn't been baptized yet. How about Abraham? How about Abraham? He was saved before he was circumcised, before he was baptized into Jesus Christ. How was he saved, folks? He believed, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So, to me, those questions really made me look into why I did the things that I did. And even today, as Calvary Chapel, you know, you come in here, and this is a different church maybe than you're used to. You know, why don't, why don't you pass an offering plate? Why isn't there a membership? Why don't you wear a, a dog collar like the Methodist pastors do? Why don't you wear robes like the Catholic pastors priests do? You know, and they can have all these questions. Why do people wear flip-flops? That, why don't you have a church building? There's all these questions. And you know what? We ought to have answers for why we do every one of them. And Jesus has answers. So he's going to answer the question, why do we fast often and your disciples do not fast? I mean, they should be fasting. So verse 15 says, uh, Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come. When the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Ah, he is such a brilliant teacher. He doesn't answer from scripture. He doesn't say, Well, it says in the you know, in Habakkuk or it says in the Psalms. He just says, Look, think about it. He says, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is present with them? When you go to a wedding, and a wedding is a time of what? Sadness or joy? Joy. Right, so we, we're, we're square on that. At least most of the ones I've been to have been. You get the others sometimes. It's more rare, but nonetheless, uh, when the groom is there and, and there's celebration happening and food is happening and, and they, man, the Jews knew how, they know how to have a wedding. I mean, people getting lifted up on chairs and passed around and there's dancing and there's music and it's a time of joy. And What if you showed up to the wedding, you know, because cause, uh, fasting is connected with right here, mourning, sadness, sorrow grief are all connected with fasting so uh, you show up to the wedding and everybody's having a great time and you're there going oh, just looking with a long face and, what's wrong steve come on have ha, get in the dance here uh i'm fasting why what's wrong nothing it's thursday and this is just the day i fast but wait we're all having a great time here shouldn't you be nope sorry this is the day i fast so you see it should have been a time, a wedding's a time of joy and celebration. And so Jesus just simply says, look, when you're at a wedding, when there's a joyful situation, you rejoice. And he uses himself as the example. He is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And here the Messiah, the Savior, is with his people. That's a time of joy. That's why his disciples aren't fasting. Because it's a time of joy. The, the groom is among them. That's the wonderful thing I love about being a spirit-filled Christian. Our worship is dictated by the heart and not the calendar. You know, so many people have looked at religion over the, over the ages and even currently. And what they see is it's disingenuous. It's, it's not from the heart. It's following a set of pre- prescribed rituals that I do just because the calendar says so. So what day do we worship, church? Sunday? Sunday? no every day if you get up in the morning you want to worship the lord you go to it if you see someone in need and you want to help them out and you want to worship the lord that way you do it you don't wait until someone tells you well we only tithe on sunday that's our tithing day and see and we pray on wednesday that's the day we have or thursday morning that's the prayer day no you know what something's going on and, and and you need to pray you pray why because it's in your heart to pray well what's the right posture for prayer i mean do i stand up do i sit down do i kneel I had been told one time that really kneeling is the only true spiritual posture for prayer. And I've prayed kneeling. I've prayed standing in my office with my arms raised to heaven for joy, just rejoicing to the Lord. I've prayed belly down on my floor with my face in the carpet in a time of need or struggle. What posture is the right posture? Whatever posture matches the feeling in your heart. That's your posture for prayer what kind of songs we say well we like old hymns we like this kind of song the song to sing is the song that matches the attitude in your heart there's lament and there's praise and that's one of the struggles with this meeting here because i know sometimes we come in and we're singing praise songs and they're uplifting and sometimes you come in with a heavy heart and you go you know what i'm not really feeling like praise song today i'm feeling like lament today just having a, a rough day something's going on in my life and and so that can be it's one of the hardest things about church i think you know especially as a pastor on, on any given day you get two families over here rejoicing for something great that's happened in their lives and one over here is very discouraged because they've had a tragedy in their family and the emotions within the body of christ and we're told you know look if you're sick if you're hurting go for prayer if you're rejoicing sing songs And so we work together to recognize those differences among us. But that's what I, the genuineness, the genuineness of it. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. We fast when it's genuine. He said, there's going to come a day when Jesus is taken away from them. When he's taken to be crucified, he's put on trial, he's crucified, he's buried. That's going to be a time of mourning. That's when they're going to be mourning. That's when they're going to be sad. So now Jesus takes it one step farther and he gives some general illustrations he's the he's a wonderful illustrator he uses common sense he uses practical examples and now he speaks he spoke to the specific issue now he speaks to the general issue of why he's so different and verse 16 he says no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse that's the first example he says hey look when it comes to clothing garments you guys understand, see, we live now in the day of pre-shrunk jeans, right? I think everything we get now is basically pre-shrunk. Do you remember when it didn't happen that way? When you had to buy a pair of, of pants at the store and wonder if they were going to fit still after you wash them? You had to buy them a little bit big or a little bit long so that when they shrunk, they would still fit you? I remember those days. My mom made me wear tough skins. I'm still mad at her about that. You know? I, everybody had Wranglers. And my mom was a whole, do you remember tough skins? Because she didn't like putting patches on stuff. So she bought tough skins, and they were tough. I had to work to wear those things out. And then when I did wear them out, she didn't sew on patches. She had the iron-on patches. Remember those? Now we get. Now you get clothes at the store, and if they don't have enough holes, you go home with the scissors, you put more holes in, because that's fashionable. But in that day, you, you had to treat the cloth to shrink it so or you washed it over time and it would shrink and so you have this pair of jeans and you've been wearing them for a couple of years or and they've got a hole in the knee and so you want to patch them and they let's assume they they were not uh, pre-shrunk you know by washing and they, they shrunk up and now you get a patch that's from a new pair of unshrunk jeans and you put that patch on your pair of shrunk jeans and when you wash it what happens to that patch? What does it do? It shrinks. And when it shrinks, it pulls the, the cloth of the pair of jeans and it, and it further ruins them. And they're no good anymore. And so that Jesus is just saying that, look, this new thing is not compatible with that old thing. With, with all the, the system that you were part of to, for the Pharisees. What I'm doing is not compatible. I mean, again, just look at the difference we tr- in the way we treat people. I'm welcoming God wants to be welcoming to the sinner, to the hurting, to the outcast. But your system has shrunk in such a way to not allow them, to not accept them. And this is a problem. This is an issue. So he's, he's making a comparison uh, that he didn't come just to patch up Judaism. He didn't come just to patch up their religious system. It, it needed something new. And he expands on that a little bit more with this next wonderful example. Look at uh, verse 17. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins. Or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Uh, again, in that day, they didn't have you know, eco-friendly stainless steel water bottles that people carried around on their bicycles and on their bags. You know, if they carried liquid... Uh, wine or water or other kind of liquid, they would make um, a a carrying case out of animal skin, goat skin, lamb skin. Uh, If you had a long way to travel and needed a lot of water to carry with you, you would use an ox skin. And you'd put that thing up on your camel or on your, your donkey and away you would go. And it could hold 60 gallons of water in this oxen skin. They'd take it, it'd be treated, it would be sewn together tight so it didn't leak. And that skin, well, you guys know how leather is. You have an old leather pair of shoes, and if you treat it well, it'll last a while. But eventually, what happens to the leather? It gets old. It loses its flexibility. It starts to crack. And so they'd make these wine skins, and when you were first, you put your grape juice in there, and it begins to ferment, and the fermentation makes gases, and that begins to expand, and it puts pressure on the container, or the, the animal skin, and the, as long as the animal skin is fairly new... and In good shape, it can expand. And you can do that a few times. You can keep doing that. But eventually, when the wine skin or the animal skin becomes old, it loses its flexibility. It loses its ability to come and go with what's going on inside. And then if you were to try to put new wine in there, and as it expanded, what would happen? Because the outside, the container is not flexible, it would break it. And out would pour the wine and the wineskin would be ruined. You could use an old wineskin to carry water. That wasn't a problem. But not new wine. So again, they're incompatible. This lack of flexibility was a problem. You need new wine. And you need new wineskins to carry it. So what Jesus is saying is, look, the old religious system. that you, The 613 laws and, and all of the routines. It's not able to contain... The new thing that I'm doing. It's a thing in the spirit. It's a work of God. And they had become inflexible. And they had become unyielding. And if Jesus tried to do it from within that system, it would have caused even more trouble. So Jesus wasn't born into that system. He wasn't born. He was born outside the system, wasn't he? He was born in a manger, not at the temple. Where did he get his disciples from? Inside the system? No, he got his disciples from outside the system. They were tax collectors and fishermen. It all makes sense because Jesus wants to do something new. The old thing wasn't working. It had been good for a time. It had served its purpose. You know, that wineskin, that pair of jeans, they were good at one time, right? They worked. But they had run their course. They'd become old. They'd become worn out. They were no longer effective. And to try to make them effective again would just uh, would not work. And understand this as a church. When we, as a fellowship, when any church, when any denomination, when any tradition becomes so set in their ways, you guys know it. You've been around church a little while. We've always done it this way. We've never done it that way. Those are the words on the gravestone, the tombstone of every traditional church. We've always done it this way. That just says to me, you are no longer ready for the new thing that God may want to do among you. you know, Calvary Chapel was so refreshing to me as a person because when when it began in the '60s, it was a new thing God was doing. He was doing a new thing among the hippies, and a lot of people rejected that. People were, you know, Christ, uh, contemporary Christian music with guitars and drums that we take that for granted. That was a new thing at one time. When that first started, people said, wait a second, drums are of the devil. And guitars too, for that matter. It doesn't matter that David played psalms on a six-stringed instrument. We don't want to talk about that. Guitars are obviously of Satan. Only proper musical instrument is an organ or a piano, maybe. But it was a new thing. And now today, we're just so thankful uh, at at what God has done, and we appreciate that, and we, we embrace that hippies people didn't want to embrace hippies they were dirty they were yucky but chuck smith and calvary chapel embraced them and it was a new thing that god was doing and i pray that as a fellowship we remain open to what new things god wants to do among us now that doesn't mean we 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 be we're so open-minded that our brains fall out i mean that's not what i'm trying to say but we have to recognize that when we get older as a fellowship, this is the danger for us. Right now, we're like the new wineskin. We're able to expand and we're able to, to uh, and incorporate some new ideas and some new things. But you know what? Someday, we're going to be old. We're going to be the old game in town. And God's going to be wanting to do a new thing through the next generation, through what's the youth group now, through the kids that are in TNT now. God's going to raise them up and want to do a work in them. Will we be ready to stand beside them and accept and see what God is doing in that next generation? If not, we'll all grow old together and then we'll lock the doors and we'll all go to be with the Lord. And that'll be it. Rather than actually reaching the next generation with the gospel. I have a lot of friends that are pastors in traditional churches and I hear them lament over trying to bring new things into their congregations, trying to open their minds up to new ideas, to new ways of operating. But it's not written here, but in Luke chapter 5, verse 39, same story. Luke adds one sentence, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Again, the hallmark on any dying church, the old is better. It's tough at first, isn't it? I mean, things, music choices, all kinds of different things uh, can be hard for us to accept at accept first. But here's the question as we close this out Will we become like the Pharisees? Will we get so set in our ways that we miss the work of God? I like uh, the verse from Isaiah that says, God says, Behold, I do a new thing. And that doesn't mean God has changed, does it? I mean, just because I get a new job doesn't mean I'm different. Just because I go on a diet doesn't mean I've changed. My nature, my character haven't changed. Just because God does a new thing doesn't mean he's changed. He's the same. The Pharisees had changed. They had gotten stiff. They had become unflexible and unmerciful. God is still the same God today, yesterday, and forever. So church, I want to say one more thing as we, if the folks that are serving communion would come up. um, Because we understand this issue that to have a new work, sometimes you need a new vessel, right? Now, some of you have had a new work of God in your life. And God's desire, I know it's hard. Don't pay attention to them. They're, they're, they'll be there. Trust me. Look over here. When you get saved, this is not God patching up your old life. This is not God just coming, well, pastor, uh, I've got, I need a, my marriage just needs patching up. Can Jesus patch up my marriage? No. No. He can't. Can, can Jesus, I got an addiction and it's, I'm struggling. Can Jesus just patch up my addiction? No, he can't. And a lot of people come to Christ and they think, well, I'm just, Christ is just going to patch me up. No, he needs to recreate you altogether. You need to be born again because you need a new vessel to contain the new work that God wants to do in you. If you don't, if you try to imitate Christianity... Without being born again, and some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about, because you may have done that for a long time. You see, well, well, they read their Bibles, I'll read my Bible, and they pray, so I'll pray. They give, so I'll give. Uh, and you try to do these things for a time, but it doesn't work. It eventually fades. It gets old. It begins to, you become torn by what you really want to do and what you're trying to look like you're doing. And it just doesn't work, folks. It's the most frustrating place to be on the face of the earth is an unsafe person trying to pretend you're a saved person and fit in with both the unsaved and the saved. It's a, it's a nightmare. So if you want to be seeing in your own life, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids, with your job, whatever it might be, And you need a new work in your life. It's not just you need that one area. God can patch up your marriage, you know, but you're still going to be a jerk. You're still going to treat people poorly and you're still going to have those same biases. Look, you need a whole new you. And that's what God does. If any man be in Christ, he's a new wineskin. He's a new creation. And into that, God can pour his New wine of the spirit. Not religiosity. Not following rules and, and religious routines. And going through motions. I don't come here on Sunday because I have to. I come on Sunday and I have for years because I want to. I feel like being here. I enjoy being here. Some of you may be here because it's Sunday. And this is just Sunday's the church day. But I pray that you're here because you want to be here. And that God that you would have a, a new life that God could pour in His Spirit too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And then the communion elements are going to come around. Father, I just pray for any that might be listening this morning that, are, that, that understand in their spirit what Jesus is trying to say. They understand these examples that He's giving. They understand the problems that the Pharisees had. And they understand maybe the problems that they have. And Lord, I just pray that uh, there would be many new creations as people uh, confess and repent, turn away and turn to you for salvation, Lord, so that you might work a new work in their life. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as the elements come around, you guys may begin to pass them out just, again, Just please, one more minute, focus on me for just a second here. If you are not saved, if you don't know Christ, if you've not been born again, if you have no uh, personal connection to this meal, to the blood and the body of Christ, then please don't feel obligated to take it. Don't take it just because it's coming around. Take it because you recognize it's an invitation of Jesus Christ and God the Father into your life to join him to receive his grace if you need the grace of god if you recognize your sin then take it and remember what he did for you but if not if you're not ready yet if you don't want to do that if that's not your thing then just let it pass by no one's going to think bad we don't talk about you in meetings afterwards you know just let it pass
1: To sing search me, O God. Search me, O God. Search me and find any way in me that does not reflect your purity. Find me, O Lord, in the fire of your days that I might be holy all of my way Take- with your love.
0: Over the last few months, God has done a new thing for Communion Sundays among us and it's been a blessed thing and we've just taken a little time to share with one another from the scriptures. Uh, So if anybody uh, feels so moved and you'd like to just stand up and share a scripture, something that's on your heart, a meditation of your heart uh, from the scriptures, then uh, feel free to do that at this time. Amen. An undivided heart. You know, you may be sitting there, and I just, I know this from experience, personal experience, that your heart is about to pound out of your chest, and you're looking at a verse or thinking of a verse in your Bible, and you're going, I know I'm supposed to share that, but I'm too scared. Uh, I know, it's it's how everybody feels when they come into this setting, and God wants to do something through you, not just through me. He wants you guys to minister to one another. So, we'll just give a couple more minutes here for those of you with pounding chests, to, now that you've been identified uh to to trust me you will re- i had an experience where i really regretted not saying what you have to say what god is putting on your heart to say may be what someone else in this room needs to hear today so don't be shy a couple more minutes isaiah forty thirty one. Let's, uh, have, let's take one more and then we're going to sing another song and then we'll partake together. Time for one more. Amen. How many of you know that truth that in your own life? That it, like a well-watered garden. Satisfying. Amen. Let's sing one more song and then we'll partake together.
1: This is a simple chorus that's Maybe be new to some of you. It May be new to some of the people standing here on the team, but I think they can follow along. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. I think it fits so well with just thinking about being ready for their new wine and new wine skins.
0: Thank you, guys. Much better than fast food, huh? Just getting a chance to sit. I shared having been on vacation that we had a chance to eat 63 meals together plus snacks and uh, that was just a great time for our family to be together and there's just a closeness that happens when you sit around the table with one another and, and share a meal. There's just something about the table that uh, that draws us to one another and uh, Christ's table table we're there by his invitation not because we've done the right things, not because we've said all the right things or thought all the right things. We're there simply because He loves us and He invited us there to be around and to partake not to manipulate God to get Him to do what we think He should do but to just re- receive from Him. And I think the, the the banner over the communion table should be taste and see that the Lord is good from the Psalms. So we hold in our hands the thing that Christ has given for us to remember him by. We visited an old uh, monastery, and around the old monastery in Ireland, there was an old graveyard. And some of the tombstones were very, very old. And uh, some of them were so old that even the inscription had been erased by the time and the years and the weather. And so the name, which was uh, hoping to be remembered, had now been lost, forgotten. And it's interesting to me that what Christ leaves us to remember him is not a statue or a monument. He left a meal. And he says, often as you eat this meal, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, that's when the time will be for you to remember my presence among you and my work through you by his grace. And it symbolizes just that, that new work, the work of not l- rules and rituals, but the work of love and grace and faith. And so if you are uh, with me this morning and giving thanks, we'll remember together that meal that they celebrated. The Last Supper when Jesus took that bread and he broke it. And he passed it out to the disciples. It says, often as you eat this bread, Do it in remembrance of me. He did the same thing with the wine. He took it, they shared it. And he said, This cup, this cup is something new. It's something new that's happening. It's a new covenant, a new deal a new contract between God and man in which God has done everything to fulfill the law on our behalf. And all we have to do is come to Him by faith and receive Him. And it took His blood. Why did He do it? Why did He take the punishment that we deserve? Why did He not want to see us be separated eternally from God? Love. There's no other answer. Simply this. God loves you whether you love him or not back is irrelevant as joe quoted while we were yet sinners christ died for us and in this god demonstrated his love for you once and for all and if he's done this for you there's nothing else he'll withhold from you you don't ever have to wonder whether or not god loves you he does and it's the cup of the new covenant in his blood and he said as often as you drink this cup do it in remembrance of me I love that sound the sound of sins being broken uh, you have time for just a uh, chorus, quick chorus, let's stand we'll go out with the chorus uh, remember uh, uh, Phil you will excuse them afterwards, Phil will set you guys free afterwards Um, Stay flexible, folks. Be ready to see what new work God wants to do in your life. Um, Make sure you sign up for Fourth of July and youth for for the retreat. Amen?